In both the Old and New Testament, we discover that all life comes from the Creator. Thus, whatever He says about it is the final word. And what did God say when He was done making people, His last of the creation? Well, Genesis 1, verse 31. And God saw everything that He had made, and it was very good. Turn to, turn to the person next to you and say, You are very good looking. Life is precious, and we're discovering why tonight. The first reason is because God says so. God doesn't change. Scripture tells us that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same, same attitude, the same person, the same power. From beginning, God valued life. And how do we know? Because he told us so. Maybe tonight, and especially if you know Scripture, if, you may ask, if God values life, why then did so many people get wiped out under God's direction throughout the Old Testament? I mean, if life is so precious to this creator, why would he flood the entire world and obliterate whole cities? Well, Peter, who was also one of Jesus' best friends, one of those three amigos, he provides the answer in one of his letters. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it's written to answer the question to Jesus' delayed return to the rapture of the church, but expanded, it tells us the heart and mind of God when it comes to the preciousness and partiality of life. So, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, this is what he said. The Lord isn't slow to do what he promised, as some people think. This is specifically to returning for the church. Rather, he is patient for your sake. He doesn't want to destroy anyone, but wants all people to have the opportunity to turn to him and change the way they think and act. Jesus' intention is that all people would come to him so that he can give life to the full. He's our creator. He designed the game of life this way. And yet, so many of us, we choose to play this game the way that we want to. My son Carson, he loves to play board games. He can play board games all night if we let him. He's also a wild four-year-old boy. And so when he's done, when he's lost interest... All the rules are gone, and it's a free-for-all. Nobody knows what's going to happen next. In life, there are consequences to breaking the rules. Sin, which means missing the mark, it always leads to death. And sin it results in the opposite of life. Jesus doesn't want to obliterate you. God is not vengeance. God is love. Yet in his perfect love, there must come correction in order to provide protection. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 26, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when God flooded the world, wiping out all of humanity save one family, he did so because man had fallen to its lowest depths. The reason why Jesus did this is because he had to. Genesis chapter 6 Verses 11 and 12, it describes mankind, all of mankind living on the world this way. It's written, the world was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. God saw the world and how corrupt it was because all people on earth lived evil lives. Corrupt and full of violence. The two ways mankind was described was corrupt and full of violence. I mean, what is violence but the devaluing of life, enforcing damage, hurt, or death to another person? 
Man had plunged its hands so far into the filth that life itself had lost its preciousness. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, just a few verses before that, it said, The Lord saw how evil humans had become on earth. All day long, their deepest thoughts were on nothing but evil. Do you want to live in a world like that? If you were God, what would you do with a population that only thought of violence and selfish corruption? As God, how would you determine where the line is where redemption is no longer possible? How many chances would you give? We hear the argument, how can there be a God when there's so much evil in the world? We see what God did when there was peak evilness. And we can't on one hand blame God for being mean and disciplining people when at the same time asking, why isn't God doing anything about this? You know, throughout Scripture, whenever there is sin, God first offers a chance to restore the relationship. Most of the Old Testament, the major and minor prophets, when you read it just on its own, it seems like, man, God is just going to wipe out everybody. He is so mad. But really, it's God's plea. It's his warning to people to course correct their trajectory. Out of love, busting out of the heart of a father, comes the plea, please, please do not continue doing what you're doing. Your choices will hurt your life and the lives of those around you. As Jesus said, I have come to give life and life to the fullness. Not to obliterate, but to give a full and satisfying life. God says life is precious. So it is. What about those that don't believe in God? How can they justify the value of life? Man may say that your life is precious today, but we've seen throughout history how quickly that can change. The first murder was between two brothers, Cain and Abel. Birthed out of jealous rage, Cain, with his bare hands, became the very first occurrence in which violence was used to end a precious life. This was the second major sin to transpire on this earth. God, in his love for Cain and Abel, he provided the correctional guidance before that murder happened. God saw the trajectory that Cain was on and out of love wanted to protect both him and Abel. We see in Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, this is what God said to Cain. He said, Cain, why are you angry? Why do you look disappointed? If you do well, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do well, sin is lying outside your door, ready to attack. It wants to control you, but you must master it. Again, we see that God is love. In perfect love, Correction came in order to provide protection for both Cain and Abel's precious life. But Cain chose to do his own thing. Genesis chapter 4, verse 10. After Cain had murdered Abel, God said to Cain, What have you done? Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. His blood is crying out to me. This was the first time the precious blood of God's most prized creation had been slain. This, without a doubt, would not be the final time that man stole the precious life from another. Man can say that life is precious, but we see how quickly that can change. In Sudan, Africa, beginning in February of 2003, people began to rebel against the government, claiming that they were unfairly being excluded from wealth and developmental processes. And so the government, in retaliation, 
sponsored militias known as the Janjaweed to conduct a calculated onslaught of rape, slaughter, and starvation. It's estimated that 400,000 people died due to that violence. That's almost the entire population of Minneapolis, wiped out. In 1994, Rwanda, Africa experienced a catastrophic loss of life. The Hutu militia, armed mostly with machetes, began a violent purge against the Tutsis, the Tutsis people. 800,000 precious lives were ended as a result. That's more people than live in Seattle. In 1992, 200,000 precious lives were murdered in the ethnic cleansing to remove Muslims from the Bosnian Republic by the Serbians. 200,000. And of course, when we think about man's deprived treatment of, of other people, I mean, we're reminded of the Holocaust, where we lost 6 million precious lives. It's tragic. It's disheartening. The wild thing is that all of these occurred within the past 90 years. All of that life lost. Millions and millions of precious lives lost in vast numbers. And for what? Even in our city, violence plagues our streets. Last year, 214 precious lives were murdered. And Jesus knows every single one of their names. That broke the record from the year before of 193. This trend is it's not good. If you were God and you saw this, what would you do? If we were to take, if we were to take the, the common post-Christian world philosophy on the value of man, we can determine that your life is valuable because, well, as a society, we say it is. We can make laws about it, even provide jail time as consequences for killing someone. Yet... The only agreement that we have that makes your life worth anything similar to mine, especially if we remove God, is that we say so together. But as we just saw in these past 90 years, how quickly that can change. Even with laws in place, when powerful individuals determine that a certain people group no longer have value, that's all it takes for life to be wiped out, to lose its preciousness if it's solely based on man. Man's word is only as good as it is today. But if we look at life's value through the prism of God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, we see that all men were created equal, that each person is endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. We see that it matters not what we think of each other, but rather what the creator of the game of life what he says about life. Jesus looks at you and he says, you are so good looking. You're precious. You're valuable. And that never changes with Jesus. Life is precious not because people say so. That scale is only worth what the feeling of the day is today. God isn't looking to obliterate you, but rather correct you when you've drifted off the path before it's too late because he loves you. Jesus the Holy Spirit, God, were all part of creation, designing you in the world we live in. Life is precious because God says so. Amen. And he says, you are precious. Amen. Secondly, tonight, life is precious because it's a scientific marvel. God is the creator. He plotted 
all of the natural world. All of science, all of math, physics, time, they were all invented by God. He lives outside of them because he made them. How the wind blows across the earth. How the waves crash on the shore. How the atmosphere transitions from space to planets. That was all God's idea. Every ecosystem, every food chain, every planetary rotation was put into motion to continue on its own by the master strategist. When you look at the world, all of it exists solely because that's how God made it to work. Trees, they shed their, their, their leaves and fall because God made it that way. Birds, they push out their young from the nest to learn how to fly because that's how God designed them. You know, I really enjoy video games. I never have enough time to play them, especially now that I'm a grown man. Uh, but there's so much I wish I could enjoy and play. Currently, I'm playing this Batman game, believe it or not. And by playing, I mean like maybe an hour a week I get to play as Batman. But it is so much fun. One of the incredible aspects of this virtual game, this virtual world, is that you get to explore Gotham City as Batman. Grappling around buildings, gliding with your cape, running around rooftops and streets. Man, it is incredibly fun. In this huge city with loads of hidden details, it's incredible what these developers have made. I marvel at the intention to detail. The video game designers, what they did, the way that snow falls or birds fly when Batman walks up to them, how each building is, is, di is different by detail. Really, I marveled at what these developers have done and how they're able to pull it off, knowing how much time and effort and creativity are required to make this. But this is just a video game, right? It's a bunch of zeros and ones on a computer. It's impressive, don't get me wrong. I have no idea how to even begin doing something like that. But how much more mind-blowing is Earth? Deserts, savannas, mountains, saltwater oceans, river-fed lakes, jungles, plains, frozen tundras, each unique landscape with its features and specific life adaptations. God intentionally designed this world for life to thrive. I marvel, I marvel at our location in the solar system. You replace, replace Earth's orbital location with either Venus or Mars, and our planet, and even life itself, it's completely different. I marvel at the healing processes of our bodies. I mean, isn't it remarkable that God designed our bodies to heal itself after we've torn it up? Imagine if you had to walk and live for the rest for your whole entire life with every bruise, every scratch, every gash, every rip, every tear. We would not be saying tonight, ooh, you look so good. <laughs> It'd be very much the opposite. Yet life is a scientific marvel because God made it that way. The method in which people continue to be made, what a concept, let me tell you. That a person grows inside another person Incredible. From the moment those cells began to form, life has been created. It's been said often, and Pastor said it today, man and woman can decide when to make love, but God decides when to make life. Amen. The circumstances don't matter. Within just a, sh a few short weeks of conception, those replicating cells, they shape into head, body, arms, at only five weeks, five weeks of the cells producing, a baby in the womb has a beating heart. What was once a microscopic cell in only seven weeks becomes the shape and the size of a coffee bean, all by itself. By week eight, 
only 56 days after the first form was developed, your nose began to take structure. A week later, your toes were formed. Go ahead, wiggle your toes, your precious little toes. And only seven days after your toes were grown, you were bending your elbow inside your mother's belly. Fingernails are grown on a baby by 12 weeks, and that is only the first trimester. There's two more to come after that. That cells could do that. All the complexity of your eyeball, with all the juices, the cords, the light intake deducting, capturing images and sending them to your brain, all were from the very early development of cells. That is a scientific marvel. And it was designed that way on purpose by God, who says, you are precious. Throughout scripture, God himself describes masterfully creating, forming, and designing us in our mother's wombs. Speaking to Jeremiah, God said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Isaiah, in a word from God for the people of Israel, he said, Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you fear not, O Jacob, my servant. David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote this down. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Eve, after giving birth to Cain, the murderer, she said, with the help of the Lord, I've produced a man, the first child. My son Cohen is six months old, and when he was born, he had a head full of hair. <laughs> My wife had a lot of acid reflux, and she is so good looking. <laughs> after he was born, I just stared at this precious little dude, this beautiful head of his, that hair, and I just marveled that all of that hair was grown in the womb from expanding cells to hair that was just swaying in the womb goo. That hair, <laughs> it had been there for weeks. And we didn't know until we saw him. God uses the natural order for almost everything because it's a remarkable system that he created. It makes the supernatural experiences that much more impactful because it's God directly interacting with what he has already created, stepping in to do what only he can do. You are a scientific marvel. Your life is precious. And that's what makes death so sad and so foreign to us. Life is God's design. Death was not originally part of this plan. Death is a result of sin. It's the prize that you don't want for messing up the rules of the game. You know, when we feel sad or hurt, when we feel like something's missing because someone that we love has died, it's because death is the enemy of life. Paul the Apostle describes death like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For Christ will be king until he has defeated all of his enemies, including the last enemy, death. This too must be defeated and ended. One day, death will die. There will be no more death for those who have accepted the way, the truth, and the life. And this is God's hope for us all, for every precious life on this planet, all throughout time, to accept this free gift of salvation. You are precious, not because someone said so, 
but because God said so. Life is precious because it's a scientific marvel. And finally tonight, life is precious, and so we must cherish it. Anything you love, you cherish. If you're married, I want you to think back to the first few months of dating. You cherished your boyfriend, your girlfriend. All you thought about was her. All you wanted to do was spend time with him. You were careful about the things you said, the way you acted, even the words you used. You opened car doors, you dressed real cute. You cherished that relationship. But anyone who's been married for some time can tell you, that doesn't last, no matter how hard you try. <laughs> Something important to Steph and I is going on dates. It is so good for our marriage. You know, in the hustle and the bustle of life, even the mundaneness that can be life, dates are our way to connect and to explore new things together. We need that time together in order to cherish each other. And just as you began to slowly lose that cherishing affection in marriage, so also we can begin to lose the sacredness of human life. When you stop at Taco Bell this week, you're in the drive-thru, it's taken eight years to move, you finally get to the window, you look at that person taking the orders, and they're just sitting there doing nothing to help move this process faster. That's the moment where you look at them and you think, God says you are precious. When you're at work, and that coworker that is driving you up a wall, dipping their nose into everyone else's business, it frustrates you beyond belief. That's when you need to look at them and say, God says you are precious. When your spouse blow dries her hair and leaves mountains of hair in the sink and bathroom floor, <laughs> that's when you look at her and say, you are so good looking. <laughs> now, don't allow the annoyances or even the legitimate hurt from people to tarnish your view of people. Ask the Holy Spirit to see people the way that he does. Ask God to give you a heart for people in the same way that God cares for people. If life is precious, then let's cherish it. When Chloe was born, my first child, man, we were beyond excited. We didn't know exactly what we were getting into, but we were just thrilled to become parents. In preparation for her arriving, I had painted her room pink in our apartment. I set up her crib, and then I painted this globe with the words, there's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. She still has it in her room. I listened to the soundtrack from Inside Out. It's a Disney Pixar movie about uh, this little girl that was born and the emotions inside of her. It is terrific. I listened to that over and over again as I do this stuff, and I would pray for my little girl. I would pray for her future. For, for wisdom as a dad. I would pray for her faith. When she was born, the doctors noticed this unusual rhythm with her heart. A few hours after she was born, they wanted to take her to the NICU, the newborn intensive care unit, where they could monitor her heart better. If you've ever gone through that, you know how absolutely devastating that is to hear. All the months of hope, of anticipation, time spent praying that she would be healthy and strong, only to find out at her debut that something is wrong. There's nothing you can do about it. We were able to be with her, but as you can see, we were limited in interactions with her. You know, I cried, and I can count on one hand how many times I've actually cried as a grown man. That was one of them. My daughter, my precious daughter, is she going to be okay? 
That's how your heavenly Father feels about you every day. Every sin, every time you drift from the straight and narrow, he sees the hurt you're plunging towards and it crushes him because you are so precious to him. Thankfully, after the test, Chloe's heart was fine and it's been fine ever since. She's here tonight. And little girl, I love you to the moon and back. Children are especially precious to the Lord. One of my favorite, and I believe one of the most insightful moments of Jesus on earth was his interaction with a bunch of little riffraffs. We read in Mark chapter 10 about the heart of the Father, especially with kids. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples, John, Peter, scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what happened, he was angry with the disciples. We'll come back to that. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these little children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God, like a child, will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms. He placed his hands on their head, and he blessed them. Jesus was angry with his disciples. The Greek word used there for anger, it's only used a handful of times throughout Scripture. And in the translation, it literally means that he was physically upset, irritated with what the disciples had done. Everybody knew that Jesus was mad. Jesus took these kids in, who especially in that culture were not valued, and he welcomed them in. He placed his hands on their head, and he blessed them. He said, let the little children come to me. Life inside the womb and outside is precious. Throughout history, mankind has created awful traditions when it comes to the lives of children. The Greeks and the Romans, they practiced abortion under the faulty assumption that a preborn child is more plant-like than human, and so they justified it that way. Even earlier than that, abortion in infanticide occurred for even darker reasons. In the Old Testament, people groups would sacrifice their, their live babies to pagan gods, thinking that this would please them. One of those gods' names was Moloch the Canaanite god of child sacrifice. Moloch would require his worshipers to take their live babies, roll them down the arms of his statue into the burning pit of his belly. Those precious little babies burned alive, the screams of that child curdling out. God specifically called this out when giving the law for the first time. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 21, God told the Israelites, do not permit any of your children to be offered as a sacrifice to Moloch, for you must not bring shame on the name of your God. I am the Lord. Why did God say that? Because life is precious. In our culture today, millions of precious babies are disregarded. And the Father, their creator, he weeps. Jesus, he welcomed these little rugrats. He told everyone around him, let him come, let him come. And so if we, if we cherish life, what are we doing to welcome the children into his kingdom? This morning, we had a number of wonderful, just terrific, I got to talk, talk with some of them, wonderful organizations of really great people that are working hard to protect lives of the unborn and young families with children. All of them, they need manpower, they need resources to continue protecting and serving precious lives.
That's where you come in. How we vote matters. As we see throughout history, all it takes is a leader with enough influence to reverse the preciousness of anyone's life, including yours. When we choose who will be our leaders, are we choosing those who also value life as precious? Are we choosing people that see people the way that God sees them? At church, we want to welcome every single child into his house to learn about him and to discover who God created them to be. And we always need more people to love on kids. Maybe you're a person that just, you were not created to interact with kids. and That's okay. There are plenty of roles here at the church for young families to be blessed by you, to love on them that doesn't require one-on-one time with kids. Perhaps you don't have a lot of time, but you do have resources. We always are taking trips with these kids to experience the power of God. And these trips cost money. Perhaps you could sponsor a child who otherwise wouldn't be able to go to ensure that they can have a quality time with their creator. The least that you could do is to pray for the children of our church. When you walk by the kids' areas, heading to service, if you choose not to serve, pray that the kids that are here in this building would build their life on the solid rock. If life is precious, which it is, because God says so, then let's cherish it. Let's protect the unborn who have no voice of their own. Let's care for the little ones who need that extra little support. As Christians, let's look at the 22-year-old, the 45-year-old, that 72-year-old that is driving so slow. <laughs> look at them and say, God says you are precious, and so I will cherish you. The Bible ends with the hope that we have human, that we as humans that we look forward to. John, the same John that we started the message with that wrote the Gospel of John, he had a vision of heaven at the end of time and he wrote this stuff down for us. And so as we end tonight, let's turn to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Here at the culmination of time, time is ending, all of God's precious people are standing before him to worship. Those of us who have accepted Jesus as our hero, who have surrendered our lives to him and are, are privileged to experience eternal life, we're finally going to get to see Jesus face to face, our creator, and here's what John says we're going to be doing. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. There's so many precious lives, you can't even see it. You can't even determine how many there are. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. All of the precious lives that God made, each created individual standing before him together, Finally, how could we ever justify ending the life that God created? You are so good looking. Tonight, we're going to pray for a bunch of different stuff. But first, we are just going to worship the Lord, our creator. We're just going to tell him how wonderful he is, how magnificent the world is that he created. And so, 
If you want to worship the Lord tonight, I'm going to invite you to come on up to the altar. If you want to stand where you're at, this is our time just to focus on him, to worship him, to tell him how awesome he is. You are worthy, 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 Lord, another glimpse of glory, sing once more. tonight as we're gathered as the body of Christ that I'd like to pray together that as the body united that we lift up our prayers to the Lord Almighty um, I'm going to ask she's going to hate that I do this I think did she just leave I was going to ask my mom if she could pray I just texted her she may have left because I was going to ask her to do this did she leave mom come on down <laughs> she's going to hate me for doing this my mom is an MPS teacher at Morgandale she teaches kindergarten um She's been doing it for a long time. One of the things that I just find incredible is that there are so many people that come to our church that once they find out that Mrs. Humba is my mom, they can't believe it because she has impacted so many families in the city of Milwaukee, the south side. School's on 20th and Morgan, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of family families have been with her as her teacher. She won Teacher of the Year once through MPS. I know, she hates that I'm doing this. My mom also has really, I mean, there are days if you're an MPS teacher where it's like, mom, why do you continue to do this? <laughs> I mean, these kids are awful. I mean, violence, kindergartners, throwing chairs and just the worst. But she sees it as a ministry and she's told me for years that this is what the Lord has called her to do. So, mom, I was gonna ask if you could pray as we pray all together. Can you pray for our city? Can you pray that life would become precious again, that families would be restored and healed, 
that as we reach kids in schools, at church, in our neighborhoods, that they would grow up and that there would be a complete change in our people. Could you lead our congregation in prayer, Mom? Thank you so much. <laughs> Lord, I just ask that you touch our city. Lord, and all the people in it, Lord. Lord, I just ask that you touch the families that live in our city. Touch the kids. Lord, and I just ask that you give parents wisdom in how to raise their kids, how to show kids that life is precious, that we need to treat each other with respect and love. Lord, I just ask that you help teachers be strong, help everybody in the community be strong when we see people who are hurting or who need help. Lord, there's so many hurting people in our city, so many families that are hurting. And when there's hurting people, Lord, they tend to hurt others. And Lord, I just ask that you touch everyone that is around them. I just ask that we can come together, be strong, help each other, love each other, be there for each other, and just let everybody see that their life is precious, their family's life is precious. The people that they come in contact with, their life is precious. And Lord, most of all, I just ask that you touch families, our community, our city, my students, everybody around, Lord, and just let them know that they need you most of all. Yes, God. Lord, just open people's hearts and just let them see that you are the most important thing, that you created them, that you love them, that you're here for them, and Lord, that you will be there for them and just help them get through whatever they need. Lord, just show us how to love each other and be there for each other. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Mom. Let me give you a hug. All right, next I'd like to ask my mother-in-law, Sherry, if you could come on up. They're both going to hate me for this. Sherry, um, if you didn't know, she was our girls' ministries director for over 40 years. Girls' ministries is our Wednesday discipleship program. She loves kids. She's so good to the kids of our church. Can you pray for our church that the kids of our church would not fall away, that the kids that we've been entrusted with would love the word, that our church would only continue to explode with children, that we'd be able to welcome them in? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the children of Discover Church. Thank you for every single one of them, Lord, from the youngest baby till uh, they graduate from high school. Lord, we lift them up and we pray that we can be examples. Lord, there used to be a song that said, may all who come behind us find us faithful. And Lord, let that be the case for each one of us, Lord, because behind each one of us are people, children following. And uh, we pray for them. Lord, we know that even at a young age, they uh, confront things in school that differ from what they are being taught at home and at church. And I pray for them that it will not shake their faith, um, that they will realize that there are people uh, with different ideas, but that doesn't make it truth. And I pray that, um, that what we are uh, doing will be so strong that it's going to help them. And I thank you for every teacher, Lord, from the church that is teaching. And especially, um, I thank you for those that are teaching in the public schools, because I know how much it means 
to the kids to have that support in the school, uh, someone that they also see at church, and that just encourages their faith so very much. And Lord, I pray that um, for the leaders that we have uh, teaching in our uh, classrooms here on Sundays and Wednesdays and Sunday nights, that you would encourage them. I thank you for each one of them. I pray that what they do, they can do with joy and energy for you. And we do pray that each one of these children that are here right now in our uh, part of our church family will grow up and serve you all of their days. Yes, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And finally tonight, our final prayer before we go is, there's a lot of kids in this room. So I want you to look around, and if you see a kid, even if it's a teenager, I want you to do what Jesus did. Can you, if they're okay with it, put your hand on their head, hand on their shoulder, and we're going to pray for these kids, and we're going to pray blessings over these kids, just like Jesus did. If you see a child around you, if it's a teenager or a kid, you can ask them, can I put my hand on your shoulder? <laughs> can I pray for you? And I want to ask you to pray blessings over their life, just as Jesus did. Pray that their faith will be strong. Pray that for their future spouses. Pray for their calling, whether it's in the ministry, whether it's in the world, in the marketplace. Pray that the, the world would not tempt them. Let's pray that they would be world changers. Let's pray that they would have faith that would do miracles, that when they pray for people, healings would happen, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit would be so present that these kids would do powerful things for the kingdom. Let's pray blessings of finances, that they'd be so rich. They'd have so much money on this earth. They'd be so generous with it. Let's pray blessings that they would have favor even now in their jobs as they grow, that wherever they go, the favor of the Lord would be upon them. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that it gives us direction, it gives us definition, it gives us clarity. Thank you, God, that you made us. Lord, you could have abandoned us after making us. You could have said, you're on your own. You could be mean. You could want to cause harm to us, but God, you are so good. And we say thank you for that. Thank you, God, that you give us, give our lives purpose. You give our lives reason. Thank you, God, that you've made it so easy for us to access you, our creator. Father, continue to challenge us that we would see people the way that you see them. They would think about people. We talk to people the way that you talk to them. God, that we would value life the way that you do. 
God, speak to us, challenge us. How do you want us to cherish life? How can we be active in this? I pray that you would continue to move us, Lord. We love you, God. Thank you for what you've done tonight. We give it to you in Jesus' name. And the church of God said, amen. Have a wonderful night.